Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Make More, Keep More podcast. I am your host of Real Biz Advisors, will not be joining us today. I think he's on a cruise somewhere in the ocean, uh, far, far away. And loyal listeners of the show will notice I've got a new hoodie um, because my son's going to law school. So he showed up, brought his hoodie, and uh, I added to the collection of hoodies, pullovers with a pouch on top, with a pouch in front. Love these things. Um, Today's guest with us is a friend of mine who I've known almost as long as I've known Dominic Ed Sanderson of Duceris HQ. Ed and I have worked together. Ed, how long have we known each other? We've known each other close to 20 years. We've worked together uh, in almost 19. <clears throat> 19 years. Wow. Dude, you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of years, man. A lot of years. And Ed has a corporate background, banking background, but really has kind of specialized in all things college. For those 19 years, at the time we met, I ran a financial advisory firm that kind of specialized in late stage college planning. And so today we're going to chat about, like I said, literally all things college. And um, anyway, just want to welcome you to the show, Ed. It's good to have you on. Nice Uh, to be here. You guys have a great program. I've been listening in. Thanks, man. Um, We'll hopefully do Dominic Proud. I'm sure he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll have his comments when he gets back and talk about (laughs) what's going on and what we did right and his notes on critiquing and, uh, he complained, good morning, Karina. Um, yeah, he complained last time that the birds were too loud in the background. So Dominic's a musician, you know, and you know musicians get fussy sometimes. But um, let's get to work, man. What, do you, what would you say <clears throat> is the number one biggest myth about college? Number one. Um, in my experience, the number one myth is that uh, there's no scholarships and grants for college that at the rate of inflation, the way it's going up, there's no way that a family, even a family that is in a six figure income is going to get uh, any free money for college. So okay. that's the big one. And that's the one we fight the most uh, because the reality of the matter is most people, when I talk to them, if they've got a kid who's already been through college, they say, I went through the process, I didn't get anything, therefore I'm not eligible. But that is the biggest myth and it's the thing that we fight against the most and we prove to people time and time again that there is money available. You just have to know where to look. And Ron, I always say this, it's the right circumstances, the right student and the right university. You kind of have to combine those things together and know what you're looking for and where to look for it. And that's really the key. And that's the biggest myth is people just don't believe there's any money for school. And it's probably, I think the last time I checked, it's, it's like $2.6 billion in free money or $26 billion. $26 billion. It's so early for me. So I missed, I missed a decimal it. point. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, pesky decimal points, man. They you always get you. <laughs> I missed another one. I'm absolutely wrong. It's $226 billion. Do so. Do you want me to carry the show? Do you need to go get some more coffee, man? <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. And I just realized uh, we were talking about this yesterday. You said, hey, man, you got to fill that gap in the guitar. Well, I did. I just moved it. So now I feel like I need to slide over. All right, just move over and sit right there. <laughs> to catch it. And yeah. So, so I'll tell you something really interesting for those of you guys listening. 
Ed and I both have similar backgrounds, and this is how we met at a friend's anniversary, mutual friend's anniversary party. Yeah. I actually had grown up or, up in L.A. near his wife and had, I don't know that I ever actually met her, his first wife, and um, but I'd seen her on occasion, and we knew several of the same people. So we were at a anniversary party. And when we started chatting about what I was doing at the time, and um, both of us have similar backgrounds in that neither one of us went to college right out of high school because of money. We both yeah. were under the impression, you know, that our families couldn't afford it. There was no money for college. And like Ed said, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I would add a second myth in there which is the, if you go to college, that is a guarantee of success. <laughs> um, and so like, I know how I laugh out loud. Right thing, because, you know, there are certain degrees that really don't have a market value in today's society. So um, let's talk about the money first, Ed. We'll yeah. get to some of the other, <clears throat> some of the other uh, niceties around college time permitting. And we'll tell everybody, by the way, this he's he's the head of Duceris HQ. Full disclosure, I have a financial interest in Duceris. But um, you guys blow up his Instagram direct messages after this is over if you guys have questions. Work him, abuse him, treat him badly. Uh, no, be nice to him. He's sensitive. But, uh, <laughs> That's true. But, but um yeah, feel free to blow up questions and he'll talk about you. So let's go through and talk about how someone gets started, because this is the Make More, Keep More show, how someone gets started applying for college money, getting college money, all those things. And of course, since we both kind of run it, I'll let you take point, but I will jump in. Fire away. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple things that I, I was thinking about that question about myths. and. The biggest myth is that it, the process is not only you get both sides of this, right? Which is there's no money, don't even bother. And the other one you get is it's super easy. Just fill out a form and be done with it. But I, I think the the biggest challenge is folks. Uh, one of the big questions I get, Ron, is am I too late? Did I start too late? And ultimately, the answer to that question is usually yes. So I would start with the idea that if you're serious about getting free money for college, which all parents should be, and frankly, their kids should be too, um, you got to start early. And you have to understand how a college or university looks at a family. And you also have to know what schools have money, what schools don't. So the other big thing is that most families think that when they fill out the free application for financial for free, free application for financial aid, the FAFSA, um, they think that the government is giving them money. But in fact, it's not. What it is, it's an application that gets submitted to the university or to the college. And the first stop is at that university or college. Do they have the ability or the interest in giving families money based on their need? So the first thing I'd want to know for a family or a family should want to know is what is my need? Calculate that need. And that's one of the things that we help with with our families is calculate whether or not they have need. And then when you start to look at this university and colleges that your student is interested in, um, 
find out they got any money. Then the next step in that process. Can I is, can I stop for one second? Yeah, just you go in. You and I know this, and you just drop like five different steps on everybody. Yeah, all at once. That's what happens. Awesome, been doing it a while. But, but <laughs> let me back it up for a little bit. First of all, mad respect to whoever said I was their boy blue. I didn't get to see it because it scrolled by so fast. I just sat down last Friday night and watched old school while drinking a bottle of wine <laughs> while my wife was out with the girls. And literally, short of having front row for a Mayweather prize fight, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. Um, and it was so freaking funny all these years later. So I especially appreciate the shout out. So what Ed said, like, literally, he just dropped 10 points on you guys. So let me back up and Ed jump back in and unpack them. The very first thing, first of all, when you say early, what is your definition of early for when someone needs to get started? Um, well, if if you really want to make me feel good about being your advisor, you should be coming to me when your kid is in their freshman year. If you agree. want me to feel ideally a, a, not as good, but still pretty good, sophomore year is a sweet spot to get sweet spot to get started. And by junior. The way, Right. <laughs> I was gonna say when do most people come to us? <laughs> they come to me if the uh when their son or daughter is going back to school for their senior year. So it's like they get the advertisement from Coles and it's a back to school flyer and they go, What's going on? Something interesting is happening. What was that again? And it in yeah. sheer panic hits as they realize that their kid's supposed to be applying for college. It's like so, trying to go for prenatal care while your baby's in the birth canal, right? The baby's literally <laughs> is popping up. Hey, could you check and see if there's anything I should be doing? Look, I would have never it's thought better that, late. Than, that's uh, that's hey, man. interesting. <laughs> this show, this show's free. We get to say we got to amuse ourselves here. <laughs> I, yeah, um, that impression. Look, it's better late than never, right? Yeah. But ideally, when they start high school, it's a really good time to start thinking about that. So that's number one. Definition of early is ideally when your kids in high school. Would you turn somebody away if their kid's in middle school or even younger and just wanted to kind of know where they stood? No. In fact, that would be awesome. Um, for a number of right. different reasons, I think the one thing that you taught me from a financial planning perspective is that um, it's, it, the other side of it is most people haven't saved enough for college. So if you are sitting there going, I'd like to get uh, started, I'll give you an attaboy for that if your kid's in middle school, um, because you want to get an idea of what, where you fit in the formula. And granted, that could change. You can, It can change. But at least knowing where you're at is really important and then starting to plan accordingly, because the worst position to be in is a family who is up against a clock and is trying to figure out not only how to apply to get money for school, but also trying to figure out how to pay for it because their intentions were, I, I meant to get started earlier. They blink their eyes. The next thing you know, they have a 17 year old living in their house, which has happened to me three times. And you just go, wait, what just happened? Yeah. Your kid just graduated from high school three weeks ago. I'm like, wow, that went by fast. So it, it goes by quick. The last thing you want to do is wait till last minute and starting early is recommended. Yep. Yeah. So that's the definition of early. Now, you said, figure out what your need is. Yeah. So explain that. How does someone go about doing that? Well, I mean, 
the best thing to do is to sit down with a professional. Now, I'm sure you use that expression on your show as I've heard you talk to other people. The best place to go is to a professional who does that and knows what they're doing. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to gather up some financial information, almost like you're going to a bank to get a loan, a little bit different. Yeah. Get into those details, but you're going to gather, you're going to gather some financial information and there's a calculator. So we have access to it. It's on the internet. You can find it. And what you do is you're going to plug in your, your income, your assets, some other basic personal information, and it's going to give you a number. And that number, no matter what it is, families thinks it's way too much. It's the amount. That the, <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to say this because everybody knows it's true. It's, it, it's a challenge because it's what the federal government thinks you can afford for college. And I mean, let's face it, the federal government all due respect and i know you're going to say without respect but with all due respect they have no idea what it's like to live in the real world they just don't so when that number comes back to families they're astonished about what the federal government thinks that a family can afford in order to send their kid to school but whether we like it or not it's the starting point and because it's the starting point we have to know where we're starting from in order to determine how we're going to end the story and we wanted to end it positively. So you better figure out what it is and then figure out if you can lower it, what's going to impact it to go up, the things that you should do while you're in the process of qualifying so you're not creating an artificial number because you decided to pick up uh, a bonus from work and you didn't realize what impact that was going to have. Now, listen, I've had people come to me and go, Wife wants to quit her job. We want to get this number as low as possible. And I get all that, but we still have to eat and we have to pay for gas and we have to pay for our home. So we can't just go broke. But at the same time, it's really important to know what's contributing to that expected family contribution. That's what they call it. In our world, you and I call it an EFC. But we need to know what, what the number is and what contributes to it. So that if there is proactive things we can do to reduce that number, you do that with the idea that the government also gives you legal, moral, ethical ways to manage that number. If you're waiting to the last minute, the ability to put that structure in place to plan accordingly is exceptionally difficult, particularly when it comes to income, because they're not just going back one year, they're going back two years. And so back to starting early, if you didn't know that before, there's no excuse. You know it now. Get in, sit down with myself or another person who's been at this for a long time to understand these rules to determine how they're going to impact you and then move proactively in your planning so that you're in a position where there are no surprises. Yeah, so I'll throw something back at that. Lakers back-to-back has been dropping some good comments there, although I will correct you in a moment on one of the asset numbers. But basically, to what Ed was saying is the government has a formula. It's 36 pages long. You can find it on the internet um, on ifap.ed.gov. I realize that went by real fast, but just search for it. Not the form, but the actual formula. And if you read through it, you'll realize the government gives you an allowance for money. Like you could have this much money before we begin to penalize you for it. You can make this much income before we begin to penalize for you. But the numbers are st- 
stupid low. Um, you know, twenty six thousand for a family of four nationwide is what you need to live. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can have eighteen thousand dollars in your bank if you're fifty two years old, and anything above that, we're going to penalize you. But because it's the government, there's also a whole list of things that don't count, like your home equity, like retirement accounts, like non-qualified retirement accounts. And so if you understand going in kind of what that is, like I said, legally, morally, and ethically, um, you can turn around and lower that amount and then there's not just what the formula says, but the way a school is going to interpret some of that data because they're going to get the raw number, that expected family contribution, which the government spits out. But what they're also going to get is all the data behind it. So if you are sitting on a lot of cash, even though, and just to correct someone, it's actually counted, um, counted a little over 5% in the formula, meaning whatever asset number you have beyond the allowances it gets run through the mill and it ultimately ends up at about 5.6%. But if you're sitting on enough cash, even though in the formula, it doesn't directly affect it, the school may look at it and be like, well, the formula says we should give you this money, but we see that you have all this available cash. And so you don't really need that cash. So we're going to liberate you from that cash by not giving you money for it. So that planning step is really important because as um and again lakers back to back 100 correct um but if you guys are following the crawl about what's counted and what's not you have some but, sharp uh, people on this thing man dude i'm telling you good looking and sharp ed don't forget that um so anyway now you distracted me with that <laughs> so the point is understanding that formula lowers the expected family contribution, which then gets subtracted from what the total cost of attendance is at those schools. And it can be different based on whether it's a $30,000 a year school or an $80,000 a year school. And then the difference if there is one is need. So explain to them, Ed, real quickly, if you don't mind, how that need changes between a public school and a private school. And then we'll move on to your next point. Yeah. So, um, and I'm glad that we are breaking it down like this. Like you said, when you do it all day, every day, it kind of just a blur. You just kind of goes through it. And um, so the question about how it varies from school to school. And I noticed that there was a comment that scrolled up. And this is kind of cool, Ron, that you can see people typing and stuff as you go. Right. Um, about, we like this. And somebody mentioned um, another financial aid form called the CSS Profile which is basically another financial aid form or application a lot of private schools and a few public schools use in addition to the FAFSA. So, and that's important because schools determine how they're gonna distribute their money based on their own internal formulas. So if you're looking at, I think the number is somewhere close to 2,800 plus nonprofit private and public universities, each one is going to have their own formula that they use to determine how much they're going to get. So when you said $80,000, a lot of families are like, oh my gosh, $80,000 a year. That's, that's ridiculous. I can't afford to pay it. But that's not really what you should be looking at. What you should be looking at is what their internal formula is 
to determine how much money they're going to give a family. So, for example, I'll, I'll use a school that your daughter went to, uh, USC. USC is mm-hmm. one of those schools that's around $80,000 a year all in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also very generous when it comes to need-based aid. So if a family is $100,000 a year or less or 100000 and just more, you're probably going to get a big chunk of that money in free scholarships. It, it's just part of the program that they use to help lower their retail price. And when we're talking about how schools look at people, I'm not interested in retail. I'm interested in their wholesale price. So if we want to get to the wholesale price, we have to dig in deep. And this is the part that takes a lot of time, which is why if you're going to do it on your own, which some people do, and it can go bad if they're not careful. But if you're going to do it, you have to start early because you have to, and they don't make it easy for you, to find out how they handle your particular situation. And when they plug your particular, we talked about this formula, expected family contribution into their formula at that school, it's going to spit out a number. And each school is going to have a different number for each family. So if your kid's applying 12, 16, 18 colleges and universities, you have to look at each and every single one of them individually and figure out who's got money and who doesn't. And it's not always the same even at public schools Mm -hmm. because the other thing i'm going to drop knowledge on is that a public school that's out of state like we live in california and a college like uh university of colorado boulder they're going to tack on another twenty five thousand dollars to their cost of attendance because you're asking to come to their school and they're like hey we're going to make you pay for the privilege. University of Texas, us California folks, we got to pay a premium to go there. And just because that number goes up, well, that means you're getting more money. In fact, you're probably not going to get any money. So you need to look at all of those things and take them into consideration before you make an arbitrary decision to say, no matter where you get in, son or daughter, we're going to pay for the whole thing. Well, you might right. qualify that statement <laughs> based that. on, it uh, depends on how that school performs. So let's go figure out how much money they got to offset that retail price. So you said 80, there's 50, there's 35, but you got to do the calculation because I've seen situations repeatedly where an $80,000 a year school can be cheaper than a $30,000 a year school. Why? With planning. With planning. Right. Because that school has money. And to your point, you've done your planning. So you know when you put your head on the pillow at night that you've done everything humanly possible to maximize scholarships and grants so that you know what number you get is the best number you can get, which is, I hate to be this guy, but that's why you talk to a professional. So you know for sure that you're, if the school offers you 25, you go, ooh, I'm excited, but maybe they should have offered you 40 and you had no idea. And that's what we're trying to get to, is it's an investment of time and resources to maximize that effort. Let me, great point, all great points. Let me handle um, the, let me just handle some questions that have come through. Yeah. And um, whoever, Madeline, this is my front porch. So I've got neighbors walking by and you'll see me wave at people in the ocean. 
is over there, but you can't really see it today because it's foggy. Um, so let's go back um, to just some questions that came by. One person wrote that, hey, where can I find this info? My kid's going to school in the fall. My answer would be, we can you can Google search it, but it may not give you the application that you need. Um, and so I would just jump into Ed's DMs, try to get in this calendar and just show them what you've done. And you guys might be able to shortcut some stuff. Um, again, if you prefer to, re uh, to review it, go to IFAP, Information for Financial Aid Professionals, ifap.ed.gov. And you can actually find the formula. It's 36 pages, I think, is what it prints out to. And for Lakers back-to-back, -back, that is where you see, if you go through the formula, that's where you'll actually find directly from the federal government that assets are counted at 12%, but then they're run through the formula once the number gets plugged in. So it actually comes out to the 5.6%. Another point that um, Lakers back to back made, which again, love all the questions and participation, really appreciate it from you guys. Um, it makes this enjoyable. It's kind of why we keep it on Instagram, even though we could upgrade the quality and do it as an official podcast, you know, with Dominic's stupid amount of equipment that he's got in his hat, house and stuff like that. But um, no, it's it, the Lakers back to back. We don't want to argue about this one. This one is a hundred. It goes right into the EFC formula. So um, I can show it to you, DM me, and I'll get you the information just so we can clear that up. But um, that is accurate. So um, anyway, back to he made a really good point. And by the way, all your stuff's been solid. It's just that number is a little different. Um, so anyway, on the... What, he's, what he mentioned was that um, there's about 30% of the private schools give 100% with no loans. But remember, it's 100% of what they calculate you can pay. So you still want to have the planning in place there. And so this is where planning comes in. It's kind of like getting divorced in California, where everything gets split down the middle 50 50-50, right? That's what the court deems. What you argue about is what this is worth versus what that's worth. If you get that desk and I get this TV, how much is the TV worth against how much the desk is worth? It's kind of the same with these schools. So hey, Ron, leads in. Yes, sir. I just want to jump in on that one thing because the other misleading point about 100% is sometimes what they'll do is they say 100% and then you get to the fine print that's below the super fine print and the super fine print says on tuition. So they make it a tuition grant, but I think it's important to point out that tuition is only one part of the cost of attendance. So you've got living expenses and room and board and you've got all these other things. So I get this a lot, which is, oh, they're going to give me 100%. Your follow-up question should be 100% of what? Of what? Exactly. I don't know why all the trucks are coming by today. Certainly super quiet here. Today's truck day. Um, so now let me handle one other quick question for Karina. Um, 
Ed, how do UTMAs, is an UTMA better or a kid's Roth IRA better or what, what for college? None of the above. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I, I, let me just start by saying I commend anybody, and I mean anybody, who is looking to save for college. I mean, that is what you, in theory, should be doing. But back to the formula, and Ron, you pointed this out, is understanding how they interpret what an asset is. That's the first thing. Yeah, which Lakers back-to-back had really good points on what they spot on. And how they calculate the value of them and who they assign them to. So some of these assets are technically in the parent's name, but they've assigned them to their kids to redeem them at some point in the future. In the university and the colleges, they're going through that information to determine what they're going to give you. They're going to go, wait a second, this asset is technically in the student's name. And because it's a student asset, they up the value of that asset in terms of how much they're going to have contributed, have it contribute to the overall expense of college. So let's use round numbers. Let's say you've saved $100,000 in a 529 plan, UGMA, UGMA, something like that. And the school, in their infinite wisdom, goes, hey, that's technically not for you, parent. It's technically for the advantage of the student. They technically own that. So back to Ron's formula of taking 5.6% of an asset that's above a kind of a bottom line threshold, they, students don't have bottom lines. They don't have basements or ceilings. They just take it from dollar one. And they go from 5.6% to a range of 20 to 25% of that asset is going to get added into that financial aid formula. So if you've got $100,000 saved, they, they could easily come to you and go, great, we're going to increase your expected family contribution by 20 or 25% of that asset. Because in their minds, they're going to go, let's just cut it into pieces. If your kid goes here for four years, that's 25% per year. It's all gone. Your son or daughter is all gone, and we don't have to give you anything. Or if your kid goes there for five years, 20% for every single year, same thing. Money's gone. They're gone. There is no money for you. So before you decide to start putting money in there, you really need to have a conversation with Ron or myself about whether or not it's advantageous. (laughs) Okay. These folks love and know you, so I default to you. Except but, for you, Karina, you talk, you call me. So not him. Oh, there's an don't exception cheat, to cheat. every rule. See, there's an exception <laughs> to every rule. You got to remember that at the universities and colleges, that's true too. But the point of it is, if you've got one of these, and I think Ron, you alluded to at the beginning. So for folks who weren't there, it's never too late to start planning. Yeah. So if you if you've got a kid who's going to school in the fall and you're you're having a panic attack listening to this, reach out to me. Let's just see what's going on, right? Let's see what's happening. And then we can talk about what to do. I've had situations where we're able to go back to the school because there was a mistake or multiple mistakes and the student or the family would have been eligible. 
And some schools are really cool. They're like, yeah, we just need a letter of explanation. We need an additional couple of forms, fill it out. They come back, they go, yep, we'll give you an exception. Some schools, not so much. But this is why you have to look into it before, not after. This is not one of those situations where it's better to ask for forgiveness because it's not. It's better to know what you're doing. Forget the whole, they're, they're there to help me. No, you're there to help yourself. And you have to do the work to make sure you understand how those assets are going to be positioned by the university to determine whether or not you're going to be eligible for aid and and how much. So let me interrupt there. We spent kind of the first half of this um, show. Um, oh, and Dominic would like me to do a station break. So this is the Make More, Keep More show. Normally, my host is Dominic of Real Biz Advisors. I'm Ron Carruthers. And basically, we just talk about money, how to make it, how to keep it, how to pay the least amount in taxes, how to pay the least amount for college, which is what we're chatting about today with Ed Sanderson of Juceris. Um, and so we talked a lot about planning. So to summarize that, let me do this. Number one, figure out where your share is in the eyes of the college. And remember, it can be different because even though certain formulas apply certain percentages, the school can jump in and be like, right, we are going to assign a different value. For instance, 529s in our working practice, working with families and seeing what the colleges actually do, even though, you know, the formula is supposed to only count it at 5.6%. That's just for federal money. If a school breaks that money out and sees it, they can and will assign a much higher value to it. And we've seen it go through. So anyway, um, so that's something to keep in mind. Then the second thing is to figure out which schools have money and which schools don't. And when we determine have money, bye, Brandy. When we determine that a school has money, it's free money that we're looking at, not just loans. Loans are part of the deal, but um, we're looking for free money. And again, like I said, we've had schools that have turned around and been way more expensive on the front end, but ultimately because of the offset, they gave so much aid that it ended up coming down. So now we turn around and let's talk about, so the planning you wanna take place, ideally freshman, sophomore year, or sooner, if you have a kid that's older, don't worry about it being too late. Now let's move into actually filling out the paperwork and applying to schools and things like that. So Ed, you wanna walk them through the forms that they need to file and what some of the most common mistakes are and when they should file them. And I'll interrupt you as I always do. So take them one at a time so we can comment. Don't just machine gun. Yeah, like okay. You did the first, um, like you did the first time. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. By the way, when you said bye, Brownie, were you talking to me? No, that's my wife. <laughs> Beach Brownie. Beach Brownie. That's your name. <laughs> All right. So, um, by the way, people, my wife's half Native American, half Mexican, if you guys haven't seen her. And my friends are kind of like, what's her nickname? And I'm like, brownie and she's like well what does she call you white man i'm like <laughs> you know like look at her pretty brown <laughs> so anyway uh okay, sorry that was a, that was a detour i sorry about that so um, fafsa talk to him about yeah FAFSA. so um you know there's been a lot of changes to the financial aid process over the last few years 
And one of the things that they changed was when you're filling out the form. So back not that long ago, the financial aid form was like January. You're filling it out January, February, or March. Correct. Now they've moved it back, if you will, or made it available earlier to start the process in October. So I'm going to say this um, because it's true, is that you want to you want to <laughs> fill that out as soon as humanly possible because you want to get in line as early as possible. But th- like I said, there's always exceptions to rules. And here's the exception to that rule. I'd rather put a little extra time on the clock to fill it out accurately than to rush through it and do it wrong. So. And if I can jump in and say one thing is, so the FAFSA goes live on October 1st. Um, That was the change that Obama made back in 2015, where they now look at the year's prior taxes, what they call prior, prior year. So two years before you go. But one thing that I've noticed then is if you try to jump in right on October 1st, because it is the federal government and they don't really test this every year they make tweaks to the software they don't really test it most of us fill it out online and we notice about the first two to three weeks the system keeps breaking and having a lot of problems and people get kicked out so i don't know about you i generally don't even touch any clients fafsas until third or fourth week of october Unless the school specifically is like, hey, we need it by this deadline. So I would be careful because you might experience a higher than average frustration because you're like, why does it keep kicking me out? It's because they pushed it live without testing it. And then they sit there and watch it break in real time. And they're like, oh, we better go in and fix that. And why do they do that? Dude, I don't know, man. It's the federal government. I don't know if there's a lot of things they don't do. I don't understand. And I would also say, and I think that it, those last... same people would not understand. And I don't know that I want to understand it because then I may think like them. And then, yeah, what, go ahead. I, what I was going to say, Ron, is that and waiting till the last minute does the same thing too, which is the system crashes because there's so many people on there trying Bingo. to do it. Totally good point. And I would, and and I think the other thing that's really important here is I'm all about diligence and wanting to get started. But the other thing you have to check. And Ron, you alluded to it, I just want to drive this point home, is schools have different deadlines for those forms. So a lot of times you'll get a notification from a high school saying, you got to do your FAFSA, it's due on March 15th. Well, that might be the state deadline, but the university or colleges, they've got their own deadlines. So just like in the admissions process, there's deadlines, the financial aid process, there's deadlines. And you better figure out what forms they want. So we're talking about the FAFSA. But as I mentioned earlier, there's another form called the CSS profile. Oh, stop, stop, stop. I, I'm, I'm what is a, What is the FAFSA, Ed? Yeah, I, I messed this up earlier because I don't have any coffee yet. Free application for federal student aid. How many so, questions is it? It depends, but you better brace yourself for about 100, right around 100, because it depends on Who's filling it out? Who's eligible? How Correct. many schools you've yeah. got? All right, I'll There's a lot one. of variables in there, but think in terms of I've got a hundred questions I got to get. Yeah, and by the way, they cheat because it's actually more than a hundred questions because 
they have questions that are like, this is question 89, A through Q. You got to fill in all these things. I counted, it's 156 lines. Wow. Because I apparently had nothing better to do one night. <laughs> okay, and what are the most common mistakes besides not filling it out at all? And I swear to God, if I find any of you on this, listening to this, that didn't fill it out because you didn't think you were eligible, and I will straight come to your house, kick your ass, and then drive home. Do absolutely <laughs> fill it out. I can tell you guys stories about this where clients were way over limits to qualify, but because they got it in on time, then they lost a job or something bad happened where the school turned in and now made up all the money. Whereas if they hadn't filed it, they would have been screwed. So what are the most common mistakes on the file stuff? Well, I love the first one that you said is not filling it out. All right, um, besides that one. But I love that one because I and get that a lot. Late. Don't fill it out late. But besides yeah. that, what right, are the, when so, you're actually sitting down to fill the thing out, what are the most common mistakes? All right. So we'll break it into two categories. One is the clerical. Is you put in a wrong birthday? You put in a wrong social security number? Nope. You, that is going to mess you up in a big way because if you do that, it's getting stuck in the system. And guess what? They're not going to tell you that it's messed up. But when the school goes to poll, that application they're not going to be able to find it so making which puts you to the back of the line hold on let me let me extend that which puts you to the back of the line so that we've worked together long enough you know we kind (laughs) of each other it's i want to say marriage storytelling (laughs) one day we used to go to the same um restaurant sit on the patio and have martinis every friday afternoon i showed up one day without it and the lady the waitress straight looked at me and goes Where's your heterosexual life partner today? (laughs) That's funny, but uncalled for. Um, But anyway, yeah. yeah, So when you're, where were we? I totally distracted myself. Uh, Who who are you? About clerical mistakes, making mistakes and going to the back of the line. Go to the back of the line. So the problem is by the time they get around to like, oh, hey, by the way, they've given a lot of that money away to other families that didn't make that mistake. Yeah. Right. So that's clerical. So yeah. what else? So let's talk about probably the three biggest ones. Um, one, the federal form asks very specific questions. And I would say read the instructions, but we know nobody's going to read them. But you should read the <laughs> instructions that go with them because yeah. they define assets in different ways. And as one of your uh, followers mentioned, what they define as an asset and what you define as an asset or a local bank are two totally different things in totally. cases. Totally different. So let's talk about the big one. Um, every, I won't say every single time because there is no absolutes in this deal, but most of the time when I find a parent filling this out on their own, literally the first mistake they made is they've included the equity in their residence, their home, the home they live in, Number one mistake. That's 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 right off the bat. Usually, what I'm going to go look for. The second thing they're going to do that's really going to hurt them is they're going to include the accounts they have in retirement. So they look at that and go, "Well, if I was qualifying for a loan, that would be considered an asset." But the Department of Education excludes that as an asset. So a 401k, 403b, IRA, Roth IRA, the list goes on. 
but that's the second biggest mistake is they're including something that doesn't qualify as an asset. <laughs> and if I can jump in real quickly, yeah. think about what you've learned so far. If you guys were on the early part of this, and if you guys weren't and you're just jumping on, please go back. If you have a kid getting ready to go to college or a kid that may go to college at all, definitely go back to the start. We'll post this later today and listen to this because we walk you through how to plan ahead and the questions to ask of each school and those sorts of things. But um, if you li- if you heard the early part where we're like, if you've got a lot of cash, the school is like, yes, that is our cash. Give so me, if give you me. accidentally list all of your home equity and all of your 401k, which shouldn't be counted, that might be four, five, six, $800,000 that the school now thinks you've got sitting in the bank so like, well, based on your income, we were going to give you this. Now we're going to give you this because you've got all this cash. Um, you've got all this cash sitting around. And yes, I can't read the name, but you exclude your school pension. It does not count. Now on the profile, which the other form, Ed, which we'll touch on real briefly because I want to get to negotiation, you may have to list that, but not on the FOSTA. Yeah. Which is the free application for federal student aid. Was there a third mistake that people make? Well, I I always look at this uh, as a circumstantial mistake. Uh, We deal with a lot of families who own their own business. And the rules on how much that business is worth is also very specific. So we would have to talk about your specific situation in this case. But in most cases, the value of a business that you own is zero. So a lot of times people come to us and they go, I've got this business and I've got this situation and it generates X amount of dollars and I got it appraised for X amount of dollars. Therefore, the value of my business is a million dollars. Yeah, probably zero because they have an exception to business value if you qualify. So those are the three big ones. I'm sure there are other ones and they're all relative to circumstances. Uh, go ahead, And again, if you have questions on specific situations, jump into Duceris HQ's DMs. It's got the one, the green logo. Um, And um, just reach out to Ed, chat with them. And one of the questions Jackpot has, because I can read his his name, is excluding crypto. So interesting, the new form will come out in a month or two. We'll look at it and see if they have anything addressing it. But the IRS addresses crypto for the moment like personal property. Mm. So that would exclude it because personal property is excluded. So until we um, until we turn around and um, get you know a clear ruling, and obviously we like that, particularly if you have a lot of crypto, right? Um, yeah. Although even if you have a lot of crypto, is it really worth anything? Because <laughs> God knows, I looked at mine yesterday and I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like, I'm so happy. Let me check on my crypto. And I'm like, oh, I'm not happy anymore. Not that happy. Yep. All right. Lovely CJP. We're going to get to your question in a moment. Um, Ed, drop knowledge on him on the CSS profile. One All minute. right. <clears throat> one minute. That's a rough one. But same thing. You have to understand they're going to ask you about 300 questions. And they're going to get a little bit more nosier because most of the schools who use that form have tons of money to give. So you want to get this right. So all you have to know about that is that you take your time, 
you start early. That deadline is usually earlier than the federal form, so you better watch that one. Yep. And to Ron's point, always, always, always fill it out. And I'll give you a second reason, because a lot of schools who give merit money want to see that you're playing by the rules and you fill out these forms. So even under the rare circumstances you're not eligible, you've got to fill them out and you have to do it early. The only other problem with this form is that how detailed it is, is you got to pay for it. You got to pay 25 bucks to put the first school in and then they add on for every school after that. And again, not only are they going to ask you about what you make, they're basically going to tear your tax return apart almost line by line. They're yep. going to go back two years. They're going to ask about grandparents and what they're doing. And by the way, that's the other big mistake or the thing you should be thinking about because there's a question on there. And remember, technically, the student is supposed to fill out this form. Don't let that happen. Sit down with them, work on it. Do you do the majority of it? They're going to ask you, and I know this is unfathomable, how much can your friends, family, and relatives contribute to college for this kid? Zero. Don't, don't put grandma on the hook because grandma might have lost a bunch of money in crypto. So you can't expect her to, to contribute. But again, just make sure you fill it out on time, early, and do it accurately. Those are the two big things on the CSS profile. Yeah, much more intrusive. And like Ed said, that really is a problem where the minute you put down, well, grandma's good for $10,000 a year. First of all, we've seen situations where grandma offered $10,000 a year and then for whatever reason lost it. Grandma went to and Vegas. So, yeah, that that's... <laughs> I'm laughing. I can think of three cases where that's exactly what happened. The fourth case was grandma married the security guard at the residence she lived in at the, you know, that let everybody into the property and all the money went to the, you know, 30 year younger security guard. Lovely CJP asked a great question, which is, um, and then we're going to spend the last few minutes chatting about appealing an award and God, there's so much we didn't get to. So if you guys like that, let us know in the chats, we'll have him back. But, um, and um, if you didn't like that, DM me privately so we don't hurt the big guy's feelings. We don't want to do that. But, um, Ed, what do you do if you have a family? First of all, let me define this. CJP's question is, what if a parent won't provide FAFSA information? So let's be clear about who does provide it. Yeah. In a divorce situation, it is one household that provides the information at a public school. Now, at a school that requires a profile, um, you turn around and you may have to introduce the non-custodial parents information. And again, that's a whole, whole other conversation <laughs> about whether to do it, whether not to do it, what to put on there. Yeah. But so if you're in a divorce situation, lovely, and you have, let's say, hypothetically, you were one parent and the other parents like, absolutely not. Fine. We just use your information. Now, if the parents will cooperate, and one household custody shared in one household makes significantly less, which means there would be, you know, all other things being equal significantly less of an EFC, then by all means, let's use that if we can get cooperation. Beyond that, that's probably a more case-specific question. So, lovely, reach out to Ed, or you can reach out to me because I see you here every week, so I kind of feel like I know you. Um, and I appreciate everybody who's here all the time. Did you have anything to add to that, Ed, 
If not, we'll move on to appealing an award. Yeah. In the world of big mistakes, separated parents and divorced parents, they usually put both. So that is significant. I got to tell you, over half of my clients last year were either separated or divorced. You got to pay attention to those details because those situations, the schools usually are pretty cool about how they measure what goes in. But if you put both, you're in trouble. You just They're not going to catch that. And by the way, I'll tell you a quick story on that, Ed. My um, elementary school kid's principal showed up at one of my, her ex-husband showed up at one of my workshops that I was teaching years ago. I know you know this story, but um, we were chatting afterwards and he had a weird name and I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's the name of my, I've never heard that name before except for my kid's principal. And he's like, I'm the one that gave it to her. <laughs> oh. So he drug her into my office and I see this lady every day. And she came in kind of, you know, arms crossed, like, what am I doing wasting my time here? I fill out forms for the state all day. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't make a mistake. (laughs) And the minute we got into the conversation, she, both parents were included on the forms. How home equity was included. And the minute we cleaned that up, two things happened. Her kid got a freak ton of money at UC Santa Barbara. And my kids, for the whole time that she was principal at that school, got exactly the teacher they wanted. You know, all I had to do is be like, hey, Emily, can you, uh, next year, can we have this? Absolutely, Mr. Crothers, whatever you want, Ron, you got it. So be very careful about that. Yeah. Man, there is so much. We got about five minutes left. There's so much that we didn't get to. We will absolutely get you back on here. But, um, Let's talk about what I deem the final piece of the initial process, which is once you have all your awards in front of you, what next? So you've got half the schools you applied to, you filled out your paperwork correctly, you did your research on which schools have money, now you've got the awards, now what? Well, I I always tell folks that you got to be careful in this step because you're comparing an apple to an orange to a nectarine. These schools are all different. So at the very least, get a notebook or an Excel spreadsheet and break it down. What's the top line number cost of attendance? Subtract the grants and scholarships you receive, not the loans yet, just the grants and scholarships to see what the net price is. Now, if you've done your research, you can go back and see how that school performed based on some of the historical data, which we track every single year to make sure our clients know exactly where they should be and how much they should be getting, and see if it lines up. If it lines up, now it's just a matter of picking the right fit for that student. At the beginning, I said right student, right circumstances, right institution. If those things all fit, then you're good to go. The challenge is, did you get what you were supposed to get? And if you didn't, how do you approach that situation? Now, the thought process is it's us against them. So we're going to go to war with them and we're going to bust down their door and go, I need to see the dean of financial aid right now. No, you can't do that. The last thing you want to do is alienate them. So what you want to start with is a nice conversation that starts with, you know, I did my research. I know you guys are really generous school. I'd like to understand my financial aid award letter. 
I thought based on your website and again, my research that we were going to get a little bit more, there seems to be a difference. Could you explain to me what's going on and have a conversation? And believe it or not, they make mistakes. They go, oh man, I messed this up. I had this happen for a client. They came back and go, we're so sorry. Not only did they award them the grants and scholarships they should have gotten, they added a little bit more to it as well. So you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And when you fold them is when you're dealing with a school that A, doesn't have any money to give, and B, is not flexible in the way that they give their money or they're not open to a conversation. You either move on or, frankly, you have to pay that difference. I would say, (coughs) to Ed's point, 80% of the time that we go to a school to appeal an award and ask for an increase, we get an increase in free money. And um, so there's, you know, like Ed said, you can get it based on your research. You can get it based on a change in circumstances. You can get it based on a potential change in circumstances. A few years ago, Sony was laying off here in Rancho Bernardo, which is an inland suburb of San Diego, uh, about 400 engineers. They were closing a plant down and um, they were laying off all 400 engineers. So the marketplace was just getting everybody doing the same job dumped into it at once. So we appelled like, hey, I haven't lost my job yet, but here are the articles and I'm competing against 399 other engineers that do exactly what I did. Would you, we're a little hesitant to commit before I have a job secured and the school bumped his award almost $10,000 a year of free money. So um, you can also uh, appeal based on, like we said, change in circumstances, what another school is doing. And like Ed said, the key here is to just be very gentlemanly or gentlewomanly about the whole thing. Just be gracious. There is no pounding of fists or threatening. It's just like, hey, man, can you guys help me out? And that works really well. As we wrap up, what's the single best award that you can recall right off the top of your head for, for your, your, a client that you got that shouldn't have gotten that award? Um, you know what I mean? Like not somebody who was, the kid was homeless and the parents yeah, were indigent, yeah, yeah. but like someone who... Um, uh, I could, the first one that popped into my head was I had a client that owned uh, three rental properties. Their primary residence made $170,000 a year and picked up $48,000 in free money and scholarships from MIT. I thought that was pretty good. That's good work if you can get it. Yeah, I had a mom um, in the classes I teach. I bring her up every time. She lives down in Del Mar. If you guys know San Diego, Del Mar, you know, it's like the the nice area, the, the wealthy area, or one of them in San Diego. And we sent the planning that we did. She had three kids. The planning that we did was worth about $528,000. I can't remember the anything beyond that. But it was $528,000 of just cash received at Boston University, Washington University at St. Louis and Westland where her kids went. And she's got a million dollar condo up here. She's got a couple million dollar house down there. They made six figures, but it was the planning that we legitimately qualified for each of her kids 
for over $40,000 a year of free money. And then Lakers back to back reminded me that there are no loan schools. Uh, in my case, I don't know if you're referring to me or Ed um, Lakers, but my lady was 43,000 ish a year. Your person was 48,000 a year. Per right? year. Yeah. Per year. Almost, yeah, almost 200 year, grand. Per year numbers. And then there are schools that, again, that, that don't believe in loans. But remember, even if they say that, they're like, well, you don't need loans, but we feel you can pay this based on our research. So you still want to do the planning. So I am going to wrap this up, Ed. Thank you so much for jumping on. And um, we'll get you back because the one thing I saw said to have you back. And what we'll do next time is chat more around the other stuff that goes around it. How do you select a career? How do you select these schools besides money in the first place? What are things you can do? What do you do after you go to college? How do you pay for your share that's left over? Yeah. We'll jump into all those things. And then don't forget to tune in here every week, Fridays at 8 a.m. Pacific, um, the Make More, Keep More show. We will, Dominic will be off his cruise and back next week. We'll get Ed back soon. And if you guys have questions about college planning, jump into the Deseris HQ DMs, abuse him, uh, <laughs> use his knowledge, you know, 19 years and foul, I mean, between us, we've, we've, pro, I, I mean, we've helped 10,000 families, you know, personally, like overseen their foster reviewed. And I've done that math. And a lot of times, um, a lot of the accountants don't know this because one of the other businesses that we have is actually teaching CPAs and enrolled agents how the college rules are different than the tax rules. So a lot of times they cross each other. So again, don't assume that they know it will be my final words. And yes, the lives are recorded and this one will be posted here. And then it's also on makemorekeepmoreshow.com. And I believe it's on, we're on Apple and Spotify and all those sorts of things. And hey, thanks Ron, again for quick thing coming on. Get yeah, man. Because I was half asleep this morning when we started. Uh, if you guys kept seeing me look up at the screen, I wanted to get this number right. So I just looked up the latest numbers on financial aid. It looks like the number has dropped. It's at about $187 billion. Oh, that's all. Well, that's okay. Never mind. You a know, little bit. It. There's no money billion. Everybody, everybody go home. And a big chunk of it doesn't get used because of all the reasons we talked about. So it's freaking ridiculous. Freaking ridiculous. So, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Ed, thanks again for jumping on. Go get another shot of coffee. Me. I need to get down to the airport. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. All right. Take care. Take thanks, care. Mark.